Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Today's episode is a little different than anything we've done in the past. It's about a woman who compiled data from countries around the world and how the Federal Drug Administration in the U.S. encouraged her to change the negative aspects of a specific five-year cancer drug trial. Additionally, she will talk about her family's unfortunate experiences with medical doctors. And our guest lives in Canada and does not want her name used, so for the sake of simplicity, we'll simply call her Mary. Let's start from the very beginning, Mary. Take us through what your work entailed. Hi there. Okay, so I at first I started as a data entry clerk, and we would uh, receive these reports from doctors all over the world that were studying uh this specific drug on patients that usually were coming from poor countries uh, that were volunteering to be in this five-year clinical study. They couldn't afford their drugs uh, or, or any treatments. So we would receive these reports and enter them into the database double-blinded. So one so Mary, person... So Mary, just interrupt here. Um, yes. This was a cancer drug then, Correct. Yes, it was a okay. chemo, a chemo drug. Okay, thank you. Yes. Um, so this data was being entered double blinded. So two people would enter the data just to make sure that everything was accurate. And the, the data that was being entered was side effects from this clinical study, uh, as well as drugs that these people were being put on due to the side effects of uh, the cancer treatment. So we had uh, different different reports that uh, we had to run for the FDA. And um, a lot of them had to do with uh, the muscular system, the skeletal, the nervous system, cardiovascular, and... Uh, um, Sorry, I'm just having a freeze here. No, no, it's okay. Um, okay, so so basically, uh, I would see these reports when I was a data entry clerk, and it didn't look pretty. There was a lot of people that were on 20 to 30 medications. For example, uh, they were put on, uh, let's say, a heartburn uh, pill, and then they would receive side effects from those pills. So they would, let's say, get an ulcer and then they would be put. And it was just a ripple effect of, of problems and, and diseases coming up. There was also other cancers that were showing up close to the end of their clinical study. Um, but, you know, I was just the data entry clerk, so I couldn't, all I would do is just enter all day. And then eventually I was promoted to um, 
like the head coding clerk and I decided to write procedures and guidelines for the data entry clerks uh, mainly because it's hard to read a lot of doctors writing and there was a lot of uh, scribbles where you just wouldn't know if it was one word or the other when it comes to the drugs or or uh, the side effects. So I, I like to be a perfectionist when I'm working and we developed these procedures where if one letter was, was uh, spelt wrong, we had to get the doctor who wrote it to sign and date it and rewrite what it is. So that's how accurate we were in that. And it was the data management side of of uh, the cancer research where, where I worked. Um, so after after that, I was promoted again to the coding clerk, and that's when I started to compile all of these reports and send them to the doctors. Um, and they would look for statistics, like let's say how many patients were were on Tylenol or how many patients. Uh, developed cancer during their like a different type of cancer during that treatment and so we got close to the end of the five-year clinical study and I had a deadline it was in a few days and I compiled all the reports the statistics of the different different systems of the body um, like I said earlier the nervous system cardiovascular um, as well as side effects, how many people had specific side effects and all the drugs, everything that was happening to them. Uh, I received death reports as well. Um, and so I had sent the reports to my contact person from the FDA uh, a few days early and he had called me the next day uh, basically just saying... I don't like these results. And so in my head, I was thinking I probably made some errors. So I told him, okay, I'm going to double check everything. I'll talk to the data entry team and I'll get back to you at the end of the day. And I spent the day with a few of the data entry team and we went over everything and everything was accurate. So I sent it back to him and said, it's accurate. So then he phoned me back again and said, like I said, I don't like the results and I need you to change severe migraines to headaches, uh, abdominal bleeding to cramps, get rid of uh, suicide, um, basically changing all like the majority of the data. So I said, well, you know, because of the procedures and guidelines, I have to go back to tons of doctors to send back all the reports to authorize the changes because I'm not going to change the data, uh, especially logged into the system in my name. And then if we ever got audited, I, I don't, I didn't want to be responsible for that without having uh, signatures and, and it, the changes dated from the doctor who filled out the form. So I, uh, I didn't know what to do at that point. Um, I got off the phone with him and, well, he said, I think it was two days later was when 
when when it was the deadline that I had to have everything finished and they were going to announce this chemotherapy drug to the world that it's been approved by the FDA. Uh, so I went to the director um, thinking that she would kind of be on my side or understand, but I had told her, you know, so-and-so from the FDA had called and he wants me to make these changes and I'm not comfortable changing the data. And what's the point of having a five-year clinical study and having all these people uh, go through all this suffering that they did and then you want to manipulate the data? It just doesn't make sense. And she, she basically rushed me out of her office and she made it really quick. She just said, just go do it. You're, they're the boss. Just do what he said. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. So I went back to my desk and I, I didn't make any changes. I was just doing other work that I had. And my deadline was the end of the next day. So I went home and I couldn't sleep that night because I was I was just thinking, you know, I had so much confidence in in the medical field and in doctors and everything that they were doing. I was actually proud that I worked there because I felt that I was a part of making a change for people and uh, I just couldn't sleep. I started thinking about all the times when they would spend money that they shouldn't have. So for example, if someone from a pharmaceutical company or the FDA comes into town and they're ha- they're going to have a big meeting, they would take a private jet uh, to a city that would be three hours away just to go and have a lunch meeting. When we had a huge uh boardroom there and it had the teleconference equipment and everything and they had to go and you know have an expensive (laughs) lunch on the dime of uh, this research money that people donate to help do cancer research and uh, there was also I started also thinking about uh, things that I heard within the office from some of the managers, um, you know how there's a lot of uh, chit chat in the office, maybe rumors, gossip. I don't know if it was true or not, but uh, there was a previous director that was fired because when she was flown into the city to to work there, they uh, got her a condo and. She had bought a couple of paintings and a leather couch that totaled to $100,000. And that came from the research money. So, yeah. So, all this spending, uh, I, I didn't really, it didn't really click in when I was working with the corruption that was going on. Because I would just go to work and work, work, work and you know, and I would notice little things here and there, but I was still a little bit naive to corruption because I like to trust people. <laughs> well, so, you, you didn't you didn't expect it. Not at all. Um, I always try to see the good in in people, so I think I just kind of turned a blind eye to it sometimes. But that night when I went home and was just thinking about everything was going in my head of 
uh, comments that certain managers would make, like spend, spend, spend. Uh, we need to make sure we spend a lot of money this year because we need to get approved for next year's budgeting. And so they would spend money, uh, like not needing to spend money. So that really kind of disgusted me right there. And I started to lose trust in the whole medical field and I couldn't sleep that night. So I went to work the next morning really tired and I was still confused. I didn't know if I... if I should make these changes or not, because sometimes when you don't listen to your boss, you can have problems in the office and stuff like right, that. Right. And yeah. but you're, prob- you're probably um, going through what's going through your head then too. And because essentially they're telling you to lie, change these findings mm-hmm. and people's lives are at stake over this. Exactly. So that's, that's why I didn't want to be, the one that was responsible for it, for making these changes, especially when it comes to auditing. And then also uh, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night knowing that I had a part of this. So uh, I, I got to work in the morning the next day and I found a piece of paper on my desk and it was basically a confidentiality agreement. <clears throat> uh just to make it short, it was basically keep your mouth shut or else we're going to sue you. So I looked around at some of my coworkers and to see if they had the same piece of paper on their desk and quietly went and asked a few of them, hey, do you have, did you get this? Did you, do you have to sign this? And they all said no. Then I really got suspicious and I said, okay, I think because I questioned them yesterday, this is why I I have this that needs to be signed within 24 hours. So I went to back to the director and I just said, can you please tell me why this is on my desk? Or was it supposed to be on someone else's desk? Was there a mistake? And she said, uh, no, that's for you. We need it signed within 24 hours. And I, and I said, why now? And she said, oh, we forgot to include it in your employee package when you first started. And I said, that was four or five years ago. (laughs) You just remembered now. And she said, yeah, you know, we have to prepare for if we ever get audited. So we were going through everyone's files just to make sure everything was up to date. And so I just said, okay, and went back to my desk. And What's What's going through your mind at this point, Mary? I was... A part of me, I I was definitely confused, but a part of me had like a bit of fear. Yeah. When when I was thinking about all of this, I was actually reading stuff about whistleblowers and uh, people out there that have jail for using the word cure, you know, things like that. So I was I was kind of scared in a way. Yeah. And I was confused yeah. and like, I just, I didn't know what to think. And I was to the point where I was sitting in my chair and I just kept thinking, should I leave right now? Or should I, like, what should I do? Should I go back and talk to her? Should I quit? Should I just do it to keep my job? And it was getting close to my lunch break. So 
I left and I had I had the the confidentiality agreement with me and went out to my car to go uh, go for a little drive and have some lunch and I just basically decided I'm not even going to go back there and I went to my doctors and I didn't tell them the whole situation I just said I don't know what to do and I'm really stressed out and uh, is there any way that I could get in like a doctor's note to take a couple weeks off um, like a little short stress leave and he gave it to me so what I did is just fax fax them the note and then when when my days off were expiring I just told them I'm not coming back and then I became even more confused because I was thinking uh, you know I left with things that were still on my desk like I had pictures and just little personal things and and I just left it all there and then I started talking to people that were close to me and telling them what had happened and some people were saying oh you need to keep your mouth shut mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. did, did you ever sign that agreement I didn't um I I I had it with me when I went on my lunch break and I just ripped it up and threw it out mm. Mary, yeah. when we were talking the other day, you mentioned that your director used to work for Big Pharma, correct? Yes, yes. So that's another thing is a lot of these uh, people that work for the FDA and pharmaceutical companies, they they kind of bounce around um, from what I saw. Because when I met people from the FDA and people from certain pharmaceutical companies and the directors that we had, they all kind of switched jobs. So my director used to work for a pharmaceutical company and then she came over to the other side. And it's really weird because the FDA is supposed to be like the police of the pharmaceutical companies, but the ones that I met, they were they were all buddies and they it's they're so corrupt like they they they're friends they talk to each other all the time you know um they they try to do what they can do to take it to the next step or to the next level like let's get this study done uh let's get this drug on the market and yeah they all know each other not all of them but a lot of them know each other and it's uh, very it's a very incestuous business it is. Yeah. So what it we is. have here, Mary, is that you uh, were concerned over the manipulation of data. And mm-hmm. the FDA wanted you to change a number of things in your report, things like abdominal bleeding. They wanted you to change to cramps. Uh, they wanted you to get rid of uh, the notation of suicide, possible suicide. And that made yes. you very uncomfortable. Your director had no qualms with it. Your report had to be in within 24 hours, and the fact that the drug is in use today, and you don't want the name of the drug released, correct? No, no. And and the fact that the drug, the chemo drug, is in use today. Widely used today. It is. Yeah, widely used today. You decided that you'd had enough of this business, and you want it out. Do I have that right? Yes, that's correct. Um. So also when, 
like I used to get vaccinated and I used to go right for regular doctor checkups and fill certain prescriptions. And when that happened, I didn't want to have anything to do with, with that type of medications anymore. Um, you know, if I have a headache, I'll just drink some water and lay down for a bit instead of, whereas before I was always taking Tylenol or Advil and I, I won't even put that in my mouth now anymore. Um, I don't trust them because especially when it comes to statistics, you, you know, when they say, oh, statistics say so-and-so number of people out of 10 people or whatever, like, uh, I don't trust that term anymore. Where does that data come from? Who are they testing it on? Um, yeah, how did, yeah. How do they get these numbers? I've never uh, been asked to be in any kind of study. I don't know anyone that has. So where do they get these so-called statistics? And that's what I learned from working there. So now when I see these commercials of these drugs with all these side effects, it, I'm, I'm just thinking, okay, what else? Tell us everything. Tell us the truth. You know, so it's sickening. And then uh, um, this drug that uh, that we're talking about now was used on a family member of mine that uh, had passed away. And I had begged her not to take that that chemo drug. But the fear mongering that goes on in the medical field um, it's crazy. I mean, I, I've fell for it too many times. I, I had uh, cervical cancer and I did a biopsy and, and a surgery for it. And when I look back, I regret it. I wish that I knew what I knew, what I know now. Yeah. Mary, can you, when you were talking to me the other day, you shared with me, um, the last couple of times that you visited, um, with your family member there, um, Yes. Can you uh, share with the audience? Yeah, so I had flown to go visit her and it was the the day before she passed away and she had um she had a big gauze across her the upper part of her chest and she she kind of peeled off one of the corners and said, "Look." And when I looked at her skin, it was red, red and it was oozing fluid and pus and and I just said oh my god that looks so painful it looks like a burn and she said yeah they just diagnosed me with inflammatory cancer and I said I've never heard of inflammatory cancer and she said yeah it's basically they overdosed me on chemo and radiation and that's basically that's what's killing me there and uh, I just couldn't believe it and I said so that's what they're telling you what you have now. And she said, yes, they're killing me. And the next day she was gone. So, uh, she was, she was really confused, um, before she did surgeries and treatments. She tried to go on the natural side, but, uh, her doctor and surgeons kept pushing it and pushing it and scaring her and telling her it's going to spread. And, and stuff like that, which is what I'm going through right now as well. Um, I went to see my doctor yesterday because I have a couple tumors. And um, even though this whole COVID-19 is going on right now, 
he's really pushing me to have a surgery and uh he called me actually today i was there yesterday he called me today uh saying left me a message saying that he has a surgery booked for me because he really 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 wants to get that out and he was doing the same thing to me scaring me and i didn't answer his call and i'm not phoning him back Tell me, so, tell me the story that you related when Corey and I were talking to you the other day about the droplets of the chemo on the floor with the family oh, okay. member. Yes. Um, so this this had happened while I was working for for the cancer research, and um, my family member had developed a tumor pressing pressing against the heart and also lymphoma or Hodgkin's lymphoma. And she was doing her chemo and radiation. And at that time, I didn't really tell her my opinion of whether she should do it or not, because that's when I was still a data entry clerk and I had confidence in the system. So I, I didn't try to talk her out of it, but she did uh, chemo and radiation and had a biopsy done and there was one day when she was having her chemo treatments and her blood pressure went up really high and she started shaking and uh, we were all screaming to the nurses to come and see what was happening so they uh, took out the IV from her arm and a few drops of the chemo drug uh, dropped on the floor so the nurse ran and put a hazmat suit on and got a piece of Kleenex and just wiped. There was probably three or four drops. And, and she did all that just to clean that up. So uh, my family member had looked at her and said, are you serious? And you want to, like, you did all of that to protect yourself, to wipe that off the floor. But you want to stick that back into my veins? No, thanks. And she didn't go back again and uh, started juicing, making smoothies, and she was fine after that. Her hair grew back, and she felt better, but when she was doing chemo, it was awful. She was throwing up all the time and getting sick, and and it was bad, but we couldn't believe that uh, they had to go that far to cover every inch of their body just to wipe up a few drops. Yeah. Now, Mary, I, I don't know whether you, you want to tell this story, but it's about another family member who was really, I guess, for lack of a better term, experimented on by doctors. Do you want to, yes. t- do you want to tell that? Yes. Uh, this is after a few years after I had quit that job. And it was my dad that, uh, my dad's really was really healthy. Um, at the age of let's say sixty five, he could outrun a twenty year old. Um, wow. Eats wow. healthy, yeah, in good shape. You know, uh, he went for one of his yearly physicals, uh, but he he had noticed that he had just a little bit of blood in his stool, and he's had a history of hemorrhoids, so. Uh, his doctor suggested that he do a colonoscopy and they went in and snipped some polyps. And then a week later, he started to develop more blood in the stool, um, which I 
in my opinion, I think it was damages caused from the biopsy. Um, but they won't tell you that. So uh, they did the biopsy. They said that he had colon cancer. So uh, I went with them to go and speak to one of the surgeons. And they had said, oh, this is going to be a simple procedure we're going to go in and cut out uh, about an inch, inch and a half of, uh, it was either the colon or the large intestine. And um, I tried to talk my dad out of it, but again, the fear mongering, oh my God, it's going to spread and it's going to cause this, this, that. And so my dad was scared, of course, and he decided to do the surgery. So they didn't tell us... um, exactly what they did during the surgery after he had come out of the surgery uh he was in recovery and I was visiting him every day and the one day I went to go see him I saw one of the nurses in the hallway and she said um oh guess what your dad's allowed to walk around now so have fun today with him and I went into the room my dad was there with uh, another nurse in the room and I just walked in, hi, dad, did you go for your walk today? Are you ready for a walk? And then his head started to twitch and his eyes were rolling in the back of his head. And uh, like, I, I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And then the nurse uh, pushed a, I can't remember if it's code blue or code red. Code blue. Uh, code blue. And all of a sudden, every, you know, Doctors and nurses came running in and they're trying to resuscitate him. He, he had a heart attack and they kicked me out of the room and I was still in the hallway trying to peek in the room to see what was going on. So then they took him, took him away in a stretcher and as they were, he, they had resuscitated him, but then as they were taking him down the hallway, he had had another heart attack. So they took him to the cardiac ICU and... Um, he was in a, basically he fell into a coma. He was in a coma for six months. Um, when they did a CT scan, they, there was a lot of fluid in his abdominal area. So they cut him open and found out that the, um, where they had stitched his intestines back together, that it had opened and he became septic. And so the heart attack was a result of that? Yes, from, yeah, from having his insides being poisoned. Um, So what they had to do is pull out his intestines and wash them. And they, then his intestines became swollen and they couldn't shut his stomach closed. So they put a big sponge over his open abdomen and every second day they would take the sponge out and pull out his intestines and rinse them. Uh, And they they had to do that until the swelling went down. Um, But rewind back to the day that he had his heart attack, I was so traumatized that day and I had went to sit at the cafeteria at a table and I was just staring down at the floor um, thinking, oh my God, did I just see what I just seen and is this really happening? And all of a sudden I look up and the surgeon's partner was sitting at my table and he said, are you so-and-so's daughter? And I said, yes. And he said, I just wanted to let you know that they were experimenting on your dad. And 
I I touched his arm. I couldn't. I said, "Is this for real?" I thought he was was a ghost or something. Thought I was losing my mind. Touched his arm and said, "Okay, are, are you kidding me? Like, what kind of experiment?" And he said, "They were using a new kind of stitch." Uh, that they haven't used before to stitch up his intestines back together. And then they also took out, instead of taking out an inch and a half, they took uh, almost two feet. Uh, God knows why. Um, So I was so shocked. I just, I grabbed my purse and I took off. I left (laughs) the poor guy there without even saying anything to him. And I went throughout the whole hospital, down every hallway, asked every uh, nurse's unit on every floor to page this surgeon so that I could talk to him. And no one could find him. No one knew where he was. And finally, I saw him coming towards me down this one hallway. And he was walking really fast. So I just said, excuse me, I need to talk to you for a second. And he said, I'm in a rush. And I said, no, just one question. I just have one question. And he said, okay, hurry, go. I'm I'm in a rush. What is it? And I said, the next time you experiment on someone, can you go and experiment on your dad? And his face, he just looked at me and said, are you serious? Uh, um, How do you know? And I said, your partner told me. And, and he said, well, how does he know? And I said, he was in the room with you. And he said, you know what? I don't have time for this. Go call a lawyer. So, and walked away. So at this time, um, because my dad was in a coma, my mom had uh, authority to request his uh, reports. And so we put the request in and uh, I called a few lawyers, but they all said, good luck fighting with uh, anything that has to do with medical because they're just going to say, make an excuse and say, oh, your dad had COPD or your dad used to be a smoker. Any kind of excuse they'll use uh, for what happened um, with these stitches and the complications. Um, So... When we when we requested these reports, there was a lot of pages missing. So it would say one, two, three, five, nine, ten. Uh, they wouldn't give us the missing pages. There was a lot of comments that had to do with myself and my family saying that we were in there causing problems all the time. Uh, but it was because of a lot of things that they were neglecting. So, for example... When my dad was in a coma, uh, he he had a catheter and he wasn't producing any, there was no urine going through the catheter. So obviously something was wrong with his kidneys and the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. So I took a, wrote down a list of all the drugs that they were giving him intravenously and researched them all. And there was one drug that they were giving him that you're only supposed to give the patient for 10 days and he was on it for 30 days. So he was developing renal failure. And the next day when I went when I went back to, to the hospital, uh, I had a nurse get some doctors over to come and talk to them. And they just stood there dumbfounded. Oh, maybe we should take him off that drug. And I said, yeah, you think that would be a good idea? 
<laughs> since he's been on it for more than 10 days. Like, I just, I couldn't believe it. And there was a time where I, where I saw a knot tied on his wrist. I don't know why it was there. Um, I had to get tweezers and pull it out. There was no cut. There wasn't anything on his wrist. So I don't know why they put stitches and, and knotted it three times. Um, there were times when he was dangling off the bed and his ear was bent and against the railing of the bed and it was bleeding. And then I try to adjust him and get yelled at by the nurses and have security kick me out from there a few times for speaking up. I had one of the head nurses take me into an office um, yelling at me, telling me to let them do their jobs. Uh, but I felt like I had to be there to watch everything that they were doing because after my experience with my job, I, I don't trust any of, like I'm not saying I don't trust specific individuals, uh, not all of them in the medical field are bad, but I just don't trust the procedures and their rules and uh, it's like I, every you just don't you, know. yeah it's like every profession there mm-hmm. are people who mm-hmm. are extremely confident uh most of them are and those who are incompetent and it applies to the medical profession as well what was the knot around your father's wrist what was that what was that all about it, they they all said they didn't know and I, I had gotten other nurses and doctors to come in before I had pulled it out. And uh, one doctor said, oh, it's probably just a scab. And then that's when I pulled out my tweezers and pulled it out. And I said, it, it looks like a rubber string or something to me. Mm-hmm. Like, And they just, they just uh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, it's, it's out now. It's good. Don't worry about it. But I didn't get any answers none, on, none on what that was. Is yeah. you, how is your dad today? Is he still alive? Yes, he is. So he was in a coma for six months, and uh, my siblings and I used to go and rub like essential oils on his pulse points, and we would play meditation music, um, which we were getting in trouble for doing as well. But when he came out of the hospital, I. Uh, he had another heart attack a, a week later and went back into the hospital and then he had to end up getting an ostomy bag. I think mm, it's what, what it's yeah. called. Yeah. yeah. And then he had to go back again and have it reversed. So after he had it reversed back to normal, back to life, well, he has problems. He can't digest his food right now properly. Uh, but um, he was getting phone calls every single day. You need to do chemo. You need to do radiation. And my dad said, "I'm good now. I'm I'm cancer free. I had the surgery, and I and I feel okay." And they kept calling and calling and saying, "Well, you need to as a preventative. And what if it spreads? What if it's somewhere else? We need to really do this." And uh, so one day I decided to answer, and I just said you call one more time and I'm phoning the police and I'll have you charged with harassment. Stop phoning here. And so we didn't hear from them again after that, but they pushed it so much for, for nothing. He didn't even, he was good. He didn't even need it. Yeah. You mentioned earlier in our discussion here that you have some health issues. Do you, do you want to talk about those and and how you're dealing with them? 
Mm-hmm. So when I was, uh, I had um, cervical cancer when when I was working at that job and did a biopsy and and the surgery for it, and then I was fine uh, for a bit. But uh, when when I had quit from there, I had also some cysts on my ovaries and I was too afraid to even go back after all this experience that that I had witnessed uh I didn't want to do a surgery or anything so I just kind of left it alone and tried to go into denial and just thought maybe it's a common thing that women have but I started uh um, using marijuana uh, recreationally at that time. Um, I was younger. I had a lot of friends that would get together and go to the park and they all wanted to smoke joints, stuff like that. So I, I was doing that for a bit. And then when I did my next ultrasound, my cysts were gone and they were there for a long time. So then that's when I started reading up more about medicinal marijuana and I watched the Run From The Cure uh, documentary Rick Simpson's and so I started making edibles and vaping marijuana I just couldn't get a hold of any Rick Simpson oil but years and years went by and then just uh, recently I had done a um, an ultrasound and they found uh, a 3.6 centimeter tumor in my upper abdominal. So it's either, I think it's on my stomach. They're not hundred percent sure. And then I have two nodules on my thyroid gland. And, uh, of course my couple of doctors are pushing me to do a biopsy and a surgery, but there's no way that I'll, that I'll do that. So I'm on some Rick Simpson oil right now. Um, it worked for, or, uh, Taking marijuana worked for my cysts, so I have confidence in it, and that's going to be the the route that I'm going to take. I'm not going to do any surgeries or or a biopsy. I'm just sticking to some Rick Simpson oil for now. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's that's a very astute observation you make about using mm-hmm. the. The, the cannabis oil. Don't you think so, Corey? And without doing do. a, other things? Well, I do, particularly given given the history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I, th- yeah. I think given the fact that you have this, probably was brought on by extreme stress, both with your job and with your family members. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I believe stress is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um also, where I live, there's a lot of cell phone towers. So, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I think I'm getting exposed to a lot of radiation as well. Yeah, no, you've you've got a remarkable story, and I think it's really worth people listening to this because uh, whenever we talk to anyone who has been diagnosed with cancer, there's always this fear that is within them because the word cancer is just extremely fearful. And there's also the pressure that the medical profession puts on a patient to have chemo and radiation. And Mm -hmm. you're kind of thrown from one side to the other. 
And then there are people who just say, listen, give me a couple of weeks, let me figure this out. And they research and find out about cannabis oil. And then when they take the cannabis oil over a period of time, they find that it was far more successful than any other mode of, of treatment that uh, a doctor could, uh, could advise them on. And I think yes. you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I congratulate you for that. And I also have to say, I congratulate you for speaking out. And yes. it's extremely brave what you're doing. <laughs> I actually tried to uh, expose a bit of this on Facebook. And I was attacked by a, anywhere between 20 to 30 people at once. Um, and then they eventually shut down my Facebook account. So, yeah, but there's also I, an interesting aspect to that story. They would break for an hour and then come yes. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So they would all bombard me and call me names and tinfoil hat this and that. And uh, one of them had taken my Facebook picture and wrote down for a good time, call this number and spread it on Facebook and stuff. So, and then all of a sudden they would all just disappear for an hour and nothing would, there would be no comments or anything on Facebook. And then all of a sudden, boom, they'd all come back again. So I made a comment to one of them and said, oh, are you guys back from your lunch break? Um, you government paid shills. And boom, my account was gone. I got suspended for, I don't know how many months. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hit the nail on the head there by the sound. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So now I, yeah. So now I just try to uh, tell people my story one on one or in group settings, um, just to let them know. And even for example, if I'm watch, we're watching TV and you get one of those commercials. If you if you are experiencing this and this and that, then don't take this drug and whatever. And then I'll tell them they're lying. <laughs> And yeah. I'll I'll try yeah. to educate people, and um, I make my own edibles. So a lot of my friends that were taking prescription pills for certain ailments, I've have them switched over to to my cookies. Um, I'm making. I also make uh, my own muscle rubs with THC oil and CBD oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, to keep it all natural, um, just because your skin is an organ and it's best to stay away from any kind of chemicals whatsoever. And so I use cannabis in in everything, (laughs) my lotions, my edibles, my um, RSO oils. When I can get fresh leaves, I'll juice them. And it's it's great. It's wonderful. And you don't have to worry about the like, side effects that these drugs have. No, the side effect is good. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're all nice and calm and happy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, as I mentioned before, you're a brave woman for speaking out. And uh, we really, really, really appreciate what you've uh, what you've done, and uh, we wish you all the best in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Mary. We'll 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 be in touch, obviously. But um, yeah, incredibly brave of you to do this. And 
you know, I mean, people here, oh, yeah, the FDA, they're corrupt. But this is kind of like being right there. Exactly. And and I and it, just like uh, you said, you're being kind of pulled in two different directions. Mm-hmm. Like when I was working there, I, I was believing them, but I wasn't. And then <laughs> and then when I wasn't at work, uh, a lot of my family members are more on the natural side. So I was my mind and my thought process was bouncing back and forth a lot between natural not natural and yeah uh, that's that was during the time when I had all this confusion and started doing some research and I'm not confused anymore so <laughs> no you're not that's great that I, yeah thank you th- thank you thank you again it was wonderful to talk to you I wish you all the best thank you so much you take care bye-bye if you'd like to help someone, discover the world of cannabis and how beneficial it can be to the human body, then why don't you spread our podcast to your social media platforms and uh, see if you can help someone overcome the fear of cancer and deal with their cancer in a successful way. We'd greatly appreciate it, and they would greatly appreciate you for doing that. And we'd like to thank our producer, Ron Zahar, for giving us his studio and donating his time and his effort to help Cannabis Health Radio. Also, Mark in Belgium, who posts our podcast to YouTube. But most of all, we'd like to thank you for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. We greatly appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.